I have to tell you about an amazing seed company, Pine Tree Garden Seeds. They were founded in 1979 with the simple mission of offering low prices on high-quality seeds for every home gardener. They're family-owned and operated, women-owned, and women-run. Pine Tree Garden Seeds currently offers over 1,300 varieties of seeds, including many heirlooms and organics, with a number of unique varieties for the more adventurous growers. They sell custom seed mixes with their lettuce mix of over a half dozen varieties being a top seller. They also have live roots, plant starts like berry bushes, asparagus, onions, potatoes, fig trees, dahlias, peonies, lilies, and more. You guys, they have a whole new selection of fall flower bulbs that I cannot get over the options on. Here's the deal. Pine Tree Garden Seeds is so exceptional that they do germination testing throughout the year on every single seed variety they carry. It's truly next level. So check out their planting options and also their gear, specialty soils, books, and so much more. To check out their selection, go to superseeds.com with the code GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off. That's GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off, all linked in the show notes for you. Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast with me, Bailey Van Tassel. It's season three. We are back from a short break. I wanted to really lean into wintering, give the pod a little snooze, and then come back with some fresh content for you guys. This season, I'm really hoping to dig into more tangible information for you and really give you that amazing mix of actual gardening how-tos along with brilliant interviews of people who are super inspirational, very knowledgeable, and of course, just fun to listen to and interesting to get to know. So I already have so much in the works. I'm so excited to share with you. But today we are going to lean into seven steps to a successful spring. When you hear this episode, if you're listening live, it's February. We are pre-spring, which means people are starting seeds inside. People are buying seeds. We're planning things out. We're mapping out the garden. So much is going on. I am hosting a live garden mapping workshop just to plug that in now. And I won't speak much of it later, but it is going to be full on my approach. I've never seen anyone do it this way on how to map out your vegetable plot and all the things that go into it, how I choose what I'm growing, where I'm putting it, the quantities, all of that. So um, check the show notes for a link, but it will be in February. You can always go to my stand store. It's stand.store forward slash Bailey Van Tassel. And you can get a ton of information there. But I want to make sure you guys don't miss it if you want something that's even more in-depth than I'm going to talk about today. But today, we are going to talk through the seven crucial steps for getting really, really dialed in 
for having a successful spring moving into summer and fall in your kitchen garden. Okay. So I would say grab a notebook if you'd like, and we will just talk all the talks. Okay. So step one is going to be setting your goal. My goal is a mix of many things. Yours might be more specific, or we may have like an overarching goal with some sub goals going on. I'll give you some examples. Number one, like replacing the grocery store, gardening, literally, so we're not buying produce. Could be a different goal, could be just learning how to garden. It could be about your mental health. It could be setting a new routine. It could be self reliance, gardening with your kids, having a beautiful space. Maybe you just love the look of a garden and you want to go hardcore cut flowers. Um, whatever your goal is, maybe it's just some of it. Like I originally, my long term goal was to have acreage and a farm and a huge garden, but I wanted to just like get started. And I recently had a conversation, which you guys will hear in a couple of weeks. And I shared this story. So maybe you'll hear it again when I say it, but I spoke with somebody about gardening and they were like, you know, a potato farmer maybe gets like 30 good years of growing potatoes, but it doesn't mean every day you're cultivating and growing potatoes, right? The whole running, the whole process. You only get like 30 attempts at growing the potatoes that entire year is dedicated start to finish. And that's not that much time in the scheme of your life and honing a skill or leaning into something that brings you a ton of joy. So gardening for most people is one season. And that's like, you just get that one shot in the year to really run the full process. So setting your goal at the outset will really keep you on track, especially as you go to the nursery garden center, order seeds, whatever, and start to get distracted or as you're mapping out your garden and you're kind of like, how do I prioritize what I'm going to grow? Where do I put it all? And things will really start to make sense when you are leaning into your goals. So for me, really wanting to replace as much produce as possible, I'm going to start out with like, okay, what do we eat the most of? Or what do I want to be making the most of? Like, do I want to go hardcore on marinara this year? Got to plant a lot of tomatoes. Then deprioritizing things we don't eat as much of and being realistic about that. So setting your goal, having this vision in mind, I often do a Pinterest board around it too, especially if you're starting like from scratch, scratch, but just getting in the vibe of how do I want this to go? And so from there, you'll gather some inspiration either around what you want to grow, what you want to eat, how you want it to look. I do design my kitchen garden with an aesthetic in mind. And some people think that's so cringe some people feel like that's the only way to do it. There are so many reasons why I garden in raised beds as opposed to in ground, but I've also gardened in ground and I would in the future too, if we lived somewhere else. So there's just a lot that goes into it. Gather inspiration, get in the vibe. It's still winter. It's a good time to be going through, you know, I've got an Instagram folder on my phone with like you know, I'll, I'll bookmark if like, okay, this year I really want to do loofah and I want to grow it on an arch trellis. Like these are things I'm just collecting throughout the year as I see other people have it. Um, some action items in this step would be, like I said, take to Pinterest. I've got a great Pinterest. You can just search my name, um, go out and get a garden journal and write out your goal and whatever all the overarching goals are, the mini goals, maybe you just have one thing, kind of jot that down. And then you'll use your garden journal for other things as you move through the experience. 
So um, moving into step two is soil. So soil is the foundation of all life and it is what will determine your success in the garden. Hands down, this is the most important part of the equation, like the most. Keep your soil happy and your garden will do fine. That's really what it's about. So number one is going to be all about removing last season's crops. And there are multiple ways to do this. I do a mixture. Some people swear by like absolutely chop and drop, never pull things up from the roots. However, I do. There are a lot of pests that live in the soil. And there are a lot of times where I kind of just need to get that out of there and refresh especially since I'm in raised beds and nutrients can get so depleted or bacteria, pathogens, or like grub infestation, for example, things just really get trapped in there. And if I'm not intervening a little bit, we can really have like widespread disease and issues. So I will remove crops, pulling out the roots, knowing I'm disturbing the soil and and some of that really good stuff going on too. Um, But some shallow rooted plants, or if I don't need to turn the bed over quickly, I will just chop right below the top of the soil and then like let the leaves naturally just decay. Or I'll, I'll take that, the leaves from the top and put it in the green waste or compost it or whatever you want to do with it. So once you're deciding how you're going to deal with the plants from last year, we are going to revive the soil and you've got some time to do this. I talk so much about amending soil, but you're going to want to go get your amendments and start working on that. Now I do a mixture of these things, kelp meal, calcium, calcium can come in the form of like maxi cal or crushed oyster shells, rabbit poop, organic fertilizer, worm castings. And then of course, compost. Good organic matter compost is the foundational element in my amending. I just want a good layer on top. But here's the thing I feel like not enough people talk about. You do not want to over compost your garden. Compost is light and it's fluffy. You do still need some like dirt, right? Like just some like plain soil. So don't go overboard with compost, but a nice layer of compost with the worm castings and like the kelp meal and the calcium will really add in a bunch of good stuff for your plants. And this is something I've done season after season. If you want to get a soil test, highly recommend that as well. So you can get really dialed in on the macronutrients, micronutrients, and the minerals that your soil needs. I know a lot of garden designers and like permaculture-based garden people are really looking at a super specific soil test. And that's fantastic too. If you want to go down that road, absolutely do it. Sort of a personality thing. And it's also going to be based on like how much success you've seen in the past. So that is something to lean into with the soil, but you can also check for signs of deficiencies. So as you're you're like utilizing your garden journal and as you're taking notes and what's happened in seasons past, if you've had a season past, you should be able to see signs of deficiency in the leaves. Like, did you not get enough water? Was there too much water? Were you seeing like, uh, I had like rust go onto my snapdragons. They were just in the soil for too long. So things like that uh, will help dictate the way you treat your soil and the approach that you take. Another good like thing to do, so to speak, is add worms. If you are not seeing worm activity, add worms. It's so crazy. Obviously when I first 
built my raised beds, first filled them with soil. There were no worms because we were just bringing in the soil. Now, when I take a scoop out of my soil, there are worms everywhere, which is exactly what you want. You want to be able to scoop your hand in or a scooper in and pull up dirt and there's at least a few worms wriggling around. That's healthy soil. Step three is going to be understanding your hardiness zone. Am I beating a dead horse on this? Like, I don't know. Just make sure you know your hardiness zone. They were recently updated this year, pushing everyone like to skew warmer. So a lot of people's hardiness zones went up. If you were previously seven, now you're eight. Previously nine, now you're 10. Happened a lot. So make sure you are paying attention to that um, and figuring out if maybe you can push your frost dates a little bit. And if so, just make sure those calendars are set up with your frost dates so that you can work backwards and really know like when you should be starting seeds either inside or outside. If you're feeling super lost about this, like it's just too much, literally call your local, like the closest to you nursery and chat with someone there about it. Let them know what you're trying to grow. You're doing bulbs, cut flowers, you're going into vegetables. Do you want to have an early spring? Is there a certain type of veg? Are you really leaning into onions and potatoes maybe? Like just chat with someone in depth. They will know And also make sure you are paying attention to your altitude. So if you're high altitude, that's going to effectively change your hardiness zone. Even if from a geographic, like flat map perspective, you're in, let's say zone six, you might actually be more like a zone five because you're really high altitude. So it's colder and you're getting more snow, earlier frosts, things like that. The other thing about your hardiness zone is understanding which plants are going to be able to grow best there even different varieties of, obviously there's like hundreds of varieties of lettuce and some of them are going to do better in cold. Some of them are going to be slow to bolt, meaning they'll do better in a hot climate. So like you can get really granular if you know and understand your weather patterns in your hardiness zone. I have to keep singing their praises with pine tree garden seeds. In addition to their great variety and options, plus the due diligence on germination, They're really meticulous about sustainability from the shipping envelope to the seed collection boxes. Pine tree garden seeds are really passionate about the environment as well as caring for all levels of gardener. From backyard growers to herbalists to cut flower bouquet hobbyists, they're really caring and love to give support when it comes to helping you avoid germination issues and pest issues, but also in helping you maximize your harvests. Pine Tree Garden Seeds has resources, supplies, and experts available to help home growers get the most out of their gardens. To check out their selection, go to superseeds.com with the code GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off. That's GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off, all linked in the show notes for you. Next will be step four, which is prepare for problems. Absolutely every single gardener, including like my guru, Auntie Pammy, has issues. And the more aware you are of what you've encountered in the past, the more you can prepare for it. So each hardiness zone also has unique challenges. When we're coastal or in the South and you're dealing with humidity, maybe you get a lot of fog Um, I have a girlfriend over in Ireland and it's like, she needs plants that are (laughs) wind resistant, you know? So these are all things to just know and lean into and really get a game plan for. So when it comes to pest and disease, which I feel like is 
I mean, obviously it is related to the weather and your geography, but also just happening. Start thinking about natural remedies that you want to be approaching everything with first. I absolutely do not intervene with chemicals ever. I'd rather just have my garden flop and I'm buying produce from a local farm, but I'm prepared with things like garlic spray, peppermint diffusers, comfrey fertilizer tea. If I feel like we need to add in some nutrition, get that soil going really well. Um, because these are really like, you can be aware of early signs and then do have early intervention. So peppermint diffusers are something I make every year. I get like these little baby food containers, poke a hole in the top, put in a wick I buy off Amazon and put in some peppermint oil. Again, bulk off Amazon. We're not using like MLM oils that are expensive. And this is going to keep rats away. And I've played with this to my detriment by being lazy and not doing them because now I have 10 beds. I have to make like, I don't know, 60 diffusers. And it's like, who has time for that? Well, make time for that because I had a ton of rats come in this year and that was its own nightmare. Garlic spray is something good in using in place of like a neem oil or something like that. Just something really smelly that's not going to impact your plants or the pollinators, but will keep away other bugs. I mentioned wool pellets as an amendment. They also act as a great like slug deterrent because there are little barbs in the wool that you can't see, but the slugs do not like because it kills them. So knowing these things that are coming, taking the steps, jotting down notes, finding natural remedies for it is really helpful. I remember we had a pill bug issue one year and I was like cutting oranges in half and placing those all down in the garden. And it just sets you up to be like, oh, as soon as you see a roly-poly, orange slices go in. And then you can see what you're dealing with. Same thing for aphids. Like the moment you see the aphids come on just a little bit, a hard stream of water is like the very first step. And sometimes that's all you really need. So, um, you know, even one year just to further push healthy soil, I had aphids take over some kale I had just planted. So it was like baby kale just getting going. Aphid infestation. I was gone for like a week. I came back. It was horrible. I actually just cut all the leaves back to see what would happen, left the kale. And sure enough, a month later, it bounced back, absolutely thriving, did not have a single aphid issue after that. I also had some trap plants going like nasturtium and calendula, which will attract and like deter the aphids, use those as like sacrificial lambs. And those will really help too. Another little tip is I will prune things that you've never been told to prune. For example, squash, pumpkins. They get those big, beautiful leaves, but they're often in my zone prone to powdery mildew. So the moment I see mildew, it's really a lack of airflow for those guys. I start pruning and it's it's soft. I'm just removing the leaves, removing the mildew so we don't have spores running around, but it will at least delay the inevitable as opposed to succumb to the issue really early on. But those um, squash as well, I have an issue with uh, blossom end rot. And that's why I put calcium in at least their beds too. So these are issues. These are things I've noticed, played with. Another squash thing. Sometimes if you don't have a ton of pollinator action, you need to hand pollinate. So these are just mental notes to take, but things to be thinking about. So you have an action plan And so you can get materials. Like let's say you do want to make garlic spray. Get your little amber glass bottle, spray bottles with the tops on Amazon. Get that ready to go so that you're not, you know, 
dragging your feet once you see an issue and then scrambling for a solution. Step number five, setting you up for spring is going to be choosing your plants. Like I said, I'm going to host a workshop about this so that this seems to be a huge pain point for people where they just feel like they want handholding. And I absolutely love being the handholder. Um, but choosing plants, I think is so, so fun. So obviously go back, review your goals. Then you're going to take inventory of what you need. I highly encourage you do not buy more seeds. If you don't need them, use what you have, test what you've got going on. Don't succumb to like everyone talking about how it's buying seed season. Like I get it. They're cheap, but it can add up and we don't want to be wasteful. So kind of take an inventory of what you have and start there and then figure out what else you need. Um, I do like a big brain dump. I make an everything list and then I edit it out later. So I write down absolutely everything I really think I want to grow. And then I kind of get it prioritized. Again, this is kind of what I go through in the workshop, how I prioritize that and start to deprioritize things that are not essential. And I'll squeeze those in at the end, very strategically if there's room. But the other thing to think about is what do you eat? What do you think is pretty, AKA flowers for pollination? Absolutely necessary. What do you want to have a surplus of? Like, do you want to be sharing with friends and neighbors? Do you find that you always wish you had extra flowers to be taking to teachers at school? Like, what do you want to have an overflow of? And then what's interesting and exciting to you? Every year I have at least one thing. It was cucumelons a few years ago where I'm like, I want to grow these. I want to taste these. You cannot buy them at the store. I want to figure out how to grow them. And it ended up taking me like a year and a half because I had to wait for the right season and kind of figure out what worked for me to get my little cucumelons. And then I was kind of like, these are non-essential. So we'll squeeze these in, but now I know how to grow them. I know it works. And that was like my fun thing that really drug me out into the garden every single day to check on. And then as I was going out to check on my little cucumelons, I'm looking at everything else. So that's also a little gardener's trick get you out there, keep you inspired. Now, when it comes to inventorying like what you actually eat, there are a few tips I have for you. One is looking obviously through your pantry, like what do you have in there on rotation all the time? You always have garbanzo beans. You always have marinara. Maybe you eat a lot of enchiladas. Like we can replace so many of these things. Salsa, um, So look at what you have, take a mental note. What are you constantly buying and replacing? What are you buying in bulk? Um, And then you can even look through your grocery lists and your grocery receipts if this feels heavy to you. And then you can kind of sit down all at once. Or if you're someone that gets like your groceries delivered, your Instacart orders, you can go through. Um, Or you can take more of a forward-facing approach and track it with like a little list I had done this one year. I put a piece of paper in the indoor, inside the indoor of one of my cabinets. And I was literally tracking all the fresh produce that we were using and things again, like marinara sauce, salsa, and figuring out truly how much of it we used so that I could try and work backwards from there. So that helps you choose the plants you want. Again, digging into your hardiness zone, like what's hardy to you? What can you grow? Like, so sorry if you're in zone four, you're not growing papaya. Like That's not in the cards for you. Maybe with a greenhouse, you could do like ginger and turmeric, but you've got to stay in your lane to a certain degree unless you've got a lot of things set up, you know, for extending your season and sort of extending outside of your zone. 
The next part, step six in creating success for spring is going to be mapping out plants. Um, There are a lot of really popular methods for doing this. And what I mean by that is like square foot gardening, intensive gardening. There's like more traditional sort of gardening with everything in their neat little rows. You get to choose like what looks good, what feels good, what makes sense. I like a very biodiverse, very densely planted garden because that keeps out the weeds and it typically confuses bad bugs. So I break a lot of the spacing rules and I do a lot of interplanting. So I'll get like my first round of things in. Let's say I know I'm growing tomatoes. Those are going to cast some shade. They're going to grow up on a trellis. So there's airflow below them. We're going to layer things in below and interplant some things within their canopy, essentially. Um, So thinking about mapping your plants out, where they're going to go in the garden in regard to how much sun they need. Can you create shade if there are plants going in that you want to be in the shade? Um, All of this can be achieved with graph paper and a pencil. I always draw my garden out every season, even though I also use a, a tool online but I do use something online called growveg.com, G-R-O-W-V-E-G.com. And they have all the plants like loaded in. So you can just plop them into your raised beds. You like design your little raised beds on their technology. Then you put the plants in and they're going to give you spacing. And I usually fudge that. I feel like they space things not as close together as I would. Um, But they give you quantities. They help you out with companion planting and all of that. But Having a map to follow is important because then you're actually like doing what you say you're going to do and you're not wasting space. I really feel like when I don't have a plan, I don't have a map to follow, I'm wasting space and I'm wasting time. So that is something I absolutely always do is really get things like going on. How I work on it is like the big things go in first, but the big things aren't always the physically big things. Like the main crops I want to grow Yes, then the physically large things, things going on a trellis, things hanging over an edge. That's how I get started. And then I layer everything in on top of that based on companions to that first round of plants that go in. Again, I will have a workshop for this. So check the show notes to get all that info. Okay, final step is step seven, which is starting your seeds. This is not an essential step. You can buy transplants from the nursery. However, it's much more expensive and those plants sometimes come with some issues. So starting your own seeds is the most ideal. I don't like starting seeds indoors though because it's really high maintenance in my opinion. It's a lot of setup, a lot of breakdown. It takes space. We don't have a lot of space. I'm in the burbs. I just have room in the garage, but I, my garage can get like, stuffy. It can get warm. We have kind of a tropical vibe going on. Like it's just, it's more trouble than it's worth for me. So I instead start most of my seeds outside in my little mini greenhouse or just straight up outside. The temps warrant it. I can usually get seeds started, uh, I would say March, which is coming up for us. So then I will wait for things that want really hardcore sun because we have late summers. And this again, all goes back to, I just know my zone. So for me, I'm not planting tomatoes until like May really so that they're not getting funky early and they can get that late sun and like really get going. And that's just the rhythm that works for my garden. But 
I calculate seed starting dates. I work backwards or forwards, <laughs> depending. Um, I honestly can start almost everything in April, but then it's going to be a matter of like something like cauliflower or broccoli. It's going to bolt if it, we get a heat snap. So um, while it will start, it might not end well. So that's where I start to fudge things. I do my brassicas as a fall crop uh, or a very, 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 very early spring where I'd like put them in the ground now, like January, February. Anyways, starting your seeds, come up with a system, calculate everything based on that frost date, like we talked about. And then you're going to figure out if you um, are starting them inside or outside. If you're starting indoors, obviously grow lights and heat mats are necessary. Definitely grow lights, maybe heat, maybe heat mats, depending on your climate. The thing with grow lights, you want to be able to adjust them. If you don't have that ability, you might get leggy seedlings that are really stretching for that light. So you want to be able to have the grow lights close to the soil. Once your seeds sprout, adjust it up, adjust it up as they grow. You want to make sure you have a watering system dialed in. You don't want to get any mold. A lot of people will shake out some cinnamon on their seedlings to help keep any weirdness at bay. I also recommend a fan so that you can be introducing some natural element to your indoor growing station but you will also be hardening off all of these sprouts um, outside once the weather warms up. So you'll be taking them outside for a few hours each day, more and more exposure to the elements each day. Eventually they're ready to go in your beds. So having a plan for this, that includes getting your seeds to germinate, maturing to have a couple sets of true leaves, and then you're hardening off time and then you're planting in the bedtime. That's what we're talking about. So obviously all seeds and plants have different mature, like days to maturity, different days to even germinate. So that's the kind of research. Those are the kind of questions you need to be asking about each of your plants before you decide when you're going to sow them. And then you can come up with a plan. And what I recommend is putting these dates on the cow, babe, like getting your iPhone out and using your calendar function to literally be like this week, like sow carrot seeds indoors then be like, okay, it takes them, you know, whatever, 10 days to germinate. And then it's going to take them maybe a month to get to a site where I want to transplant them. Bad example, by the way, because I recommend you direct sow carrots, but stay with me. Um, so now you're just figuring out, okay, how long do I really need for these carrots to be indoors? And then you take your frost date, let's say it's April 15th and you work back like 90 days or whatever it is. So that's seed starting. I also have a free download for starting seeds. Again, that's at my stand store. Literally just type in stan, like the guy's name, S-T-A-N dot store forward slash Bailey Van Tassel. And you can download that for free. So that is the seventh step. And that is really going to get you going. Um, I do have this workshop coming up on garden mapping uh, late Feb. It's going to be in an evening, um, I believe February 22nd, and you can learn my whole system. I call it poker planting. I'm going to talk about upkeeping everything for about 10 minutes a day, unlocking companion planting, and then finalizing your planting map so you really have a dialed-in situation. But if you have any questions, you guys can always email me. I hope this was helpful at least to just inspire you to get started. This is such a fun time of year because we're dreaming and scheming and really getting to lean into a fresh start. So more to come. 
I love you all. Thank you for being here. If you are loving the podcast, I would love if you left a review and subscribed or shared it with a friend. Awesome. Hope you're having a great day. Bye. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.